Hello, and welcome to the Badass Broadcast, the podcast about badass broads. I'm Shalom. I'm Carrie. And we're your hosts. I'm checking my volume. Okay. <laughs> I think I'm okay. 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 So, this week I've been, you know how I keep talking about how, like, I need to get out of a negative space. Like, I'm always into true crime and culty shit. Mm-hmm. And um, so I got hooked on this new podcast called, well, it's not new. It's pretty old, but it's called Stuff You Should Know Podcast. I think I've heard, I've listened to a few. It's it's really cool. It's a couple guys and they, they do, like, a ton of research and, like, talk about things like anything and everything from, like, I was listening to mermaids and <laughs> and they did a dragons one and like Titanic. So I learned all about like the truth, the true experience for like people on Titanic mm-hmm. rather than like just the movie, which is pretty much the extent of my education on the topic. And then, oh, really? Uh, <laughs> we did. It's not no, a documentary. I, I definitely read a few books back in the day, like in the late 90s when that was a big deal, but I don't know. I don't remember anything. And then uh, today I was listening to Blue Holes, which is really interesting. Like, you know, what is that? You know how, like, all over the world, there's one called, I think it's like the Great Blue Hole or something like that, off the coast of Belize. That one's a famous one. But it's just basically where, you know, when you see pictures um, on the ocean floor where it's like a circle that's like super dark like you know that it just goes way deeper than the rest of no I have no idea what you're oh my god you don't know okay I've never paid attention to that I have seen so many pictures of it I'm I'm gonna google it for you okay (laughs) it's so beautiful like those things people go scuba diving in them you actually have to be like a super experienced scuba diver to to go in them. Okay. They're just like sinkholes. They're okay. just sinkholes in the ocean. Yeah. Okay. Now I vaguely maybe have heard of them. I, I don't know. Yeah. I know. Anyway, <laughs> I, I, I've spent a lot of time actually looking at pictures of them because I think they're fascinating. But um, yeah. They're perfectly round. I know. it's Well, most of them are, or some of them anyway. I don't know if all of them are, but, like, really cool, fascinating. So they, like, talked about, like, everything from, like, top to bottom, what, like, all the different areas cool. are like. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I discovered a new podcast this week, and it's it's a new one. Mm. Um, I think there's five or six episodes. Mm-hmm. It's called A Little Bit Culty. Oh, yeah. You texted that. Um, it's by, uh, it's with um, Sarah Edmondson and her husband who were in we... Nexium. Okay. They were. You did Sarah Edmonds, and that's, I got confused. Yeah. No, Sarah Edmondson. <laughs> she's an actress from Vancouver. Her okay. and her husband, uh, Nippy. Nippy? We're both in Nexium, and they actually got married in Nexium, and uh, like while well, they were part of it, and uh, they were two of the whistleblowers on oh. the whole shebang. Interesting. And uh, so, yeah, they have a uh, little podcast now. So they talk. They talk about 
Uh, things like, um, uh, not even just straight up cults, but just things that are uh, just a little bit culty. Okay. And how to figure out like when to when to get out and the signs to look for, and uh, also like if you have been in a cult and and like how do you recover from that and kind of and stuff. And, yeah. Um. So I've only listened to the first four episodes and they had like um. Oh gosh, I can't remember the guy's name. His last name is like. Hassam or Hassam or Hassan or something like that. He's a, a cult expert. And then and then they had an episode with Leah Remini and then an episode with Mike Rinder. Oh no way. So nice. so they're just getting started on that and it's uh it's really enjoyable so far. So That's I'm cool. I'm gonna keep listening to that. So yeah. I was just gonna say that um I just listened to that episode of Fair Game where they had someone from Nexium in it. That they oh, yeah. interviewed with him. So that's interesting. And they were like just talking about all the similarities between Scientology yeah. and Nexium and stuff. Because what's his face? What's his face? Oh, got yeah. a lot of the stuff from. Uh, from yeah. 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 Uh, St- Dr. Stephen Hassan. That's the. Okay. The guy. Um, yeah. He got a lot of his uh, stuff and ideas and stuff like that from LRH. Yeah, from Scientology. That's so weird. I didn't realize that. That's so crazy. they describe Nexium as kind of like Scientology light. <laughs> Scientology light. Okay. So. <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah, that's interesting. It's always interesting to learn about cults and stuff like that. Yeah. All the little things to avoid, all the signs that you need to see and, and look out for and yeah. to keep yourself protected. Because it doesn't matter how smart you are, how intelligent you are, how educated you are, all that stuff that people say, um, that has nothing to do with mm-hmm your vulnerability to being caught up in a cult or a cult-ish environment. Yeah, for sure. And uh, not not everything that is cult-ish is a straight-up, like, full-blown cult. But it's but interesting. But it can still be dangerous. It's interesting to watch an organization. And Do you ever see an organization and you think, like, okay, that's not a cult, but that's, like, halfway to a cult? Like, certain organizations yeah. where I go, like, I I see where you're heading. Like I just definitely. And of course, I'm not an expert. I'm just a layman, but I am a fanatic about it. So I mean, I, I yeah. think I'm and I think observant towards that. Yeah, and I think you and I just having the knowledge and like the family um, history of <laughs> rescuing people from cults, we yeah. kind of we know what to look for, and uh, we've always been aware yeah. that these these groups exist. And that there are specific, like, signs to watch out yeah. for. And definitely there are, like, churches that that can be like that. There are companies, organizations, corporations that can be like that, too. And uh, yeah. you, you just, you got to watch your back. And if you're caught up in something like that, you have to, you have to have the guts to just walk away. Mm-hmm. Even if you're, even if it means you have to leave behind relationships. Everything. And yeah. And uh, and just start over. Like it's it's so much more worth it to just start over and build a new life than than just stay keep in it. keep going just because. Yeah. Um. I remember mom and dad sitting us down or sitting me down when I was like ten years old and being like, "Okay, so this is what we're doing now." And like, <laughs> you need to not tell anyone. Like, this is our family secret. You can't tell anyone what we've been doing I or how don't we've been that. helping people. You were much older than me, though. I was 10. I, I have a big mouth. Like, 
I had to be spoken to about this. Like, oh, okay. And I knew it was like our secret. I couldn't tell anyone at school. I couldn't talk about it. And, um, and it wasn't just cult survivors. It was like other people in abusive homes and things like that. And yeah, so. I mean, they may have had that conversation with me. I just don't remember. Yeah. And I remember like the people from the cult, like just telling telling me, I think me and our other sister, at least me, hearing stories from it that no 10-year-old or 11-year-old should know. <laughs> I was like, oh, but to them it was quite normalized. So to to me it was just like, oh, my God, this stuff happens? Like, these people live like this? And, um, yeah, I just, so many silly little things like that. But I, you know, that's something I've always loved and respected that our parents did. Like, they were pretty badass about that, like, helping people escape. Yeah. Yeah. And that was... And just giving them a home. And I remember them specifically looking for a house with an extra bedroom just yeah. so they could do that kind of stuff. Yeah, I remember that. So I, I want to be able to take my cue from them, but I don't have an extra bedroom. Right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I know. And I have the, a front porch in the summertime. <laughs> <laughs> That's about it. Hey, Oprah slept on the front porch. <laughs> yeah. I anyway. have a comfy couch. Yeah. yeah anyway. That's true. Okay. Should okay. we get it? Yeah. All right. Episode 19. Here we go. 19. What? 19. That's crazy. Yeah. Feels like episode five. Time flies when you're having fun. 500. I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to do, okay, you know, okay, I feel like I make this preface every single time. Um, I am... I'm really nervous. <laughs> of course, Kate, before we even started, I was like, I'm so excited and so nervous. And you were like, what's new? Like, you say that every single yeah. time. Okay, but this one is particularly um, scary because it's uh, someone who is still alive. So that makes them even extra. Like well, You've done that before. I know, but it's like, ugh, you know, every time it's just like nerve wracking. Because it's like, I want to be so respectful. I want to be just like as accurate as possible. So yeah, I am doing Malala Yousafzai. Okay. So born July 12th, 1997, Malala Yousafzai entered the world. Born to Zayodin, I, I, I don't know how to pronounce his name, and Torpakai. So Tor, Torpakai is her mother. And Zayadin is her father. Yeah, I heard her dad's name pronounced several different ways. So um, I'm sorry if I get this wrong. But anyway, I'll just go with whatever comes out of my mouth. Um, so she was born and raised in a region called Swat Valley, a beautiful place in northern Pakistan. It's like stunning. Like think mountains, waterfalls, lush greenery. Um, the people who lived there even considered it to be a paradise. So what do you know about Malala Kerr? All I know is that she um, wanted to go to school or something like that. And she got shot in the head for protesting or something, or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know and the that's details. the extent that I knew. I, like, I, I knew she had been shot and I knew she ha did some activism, but I didn't know like the whole extent. So I don't know how active she was before she got shot. Okay. So I 
I, why, why would a teenage girl be a threat to the Taliban? Right. And before this, actually, the Taliban was known to never harm children. So they never would kill a child. But obviously she pissed them off in just the right way. So, um, okay, so I love that her impact on the world started at such a young age. And I think that's so important to highlight on here because badassery doesn't have an age limit. So it's not always women who have come and gone, who, you know, are older and have a lot of life experience. Sometimes it's just someone who's like super passionate and um, does what they think is right. Greta Thunberg comes to mind. I know, right? Well, I've been thinking about her too, but I don't know yet. I don't know. She's on the, she's on the list. <laughs> oh, I don't know that story fully. ASMR. This is the ASMR portion of the podcast. Where, where we unwrap us eats food. Tim Hortons <laughs> muffin. Okay. So she's from northern Pakistan, like I said. I'm, I'm not super familiar with Pakistan, what the environment looks like politically or socially or anything, but I'll do my best. So her father, Zayedin, this is, okay, I'm just going to, whatever. Okay, so her father, I'll go with that. Was, just call him dad. <laughs> was an educational activist who ran a collection of schools called Kushal Public School. And it was like named after, I believe, a poet from Pakistan who was also an activist or something like that. Um, anyway, it was his father that actually started this chain of schools. Um, his father was a well-known orator, but he himself, Zayedin, had a stutter growing up. Uh, he didn't let this stop him, though, and he worked hard to overcome it. He went on to graduate with a master's in English. He also speaks at least three languages fluently. I always love hearing those stories of like people with like um, not just a stutter, but something to overcome. And then they overcome and go like exceed so far. What am I saying? So much more like even like within that area. Almost like overcompensation. Yeah. But that kind of has a negative connotation. Yeah, that's true. But it's not always negative. Anyway, um, he's an education activist, a woman's rights activist, which what? is really cool. Yeah. And an author. But of course, he's best known as Malala's father. <laughs> <laughs> Malala is now an activist for girls' education. She describes her childhood as peaceful and happy until in 2007, Swat had or since 2007, SWAT has been under Taliban control. So what this means, I need to clarify that I am Canadian, 100%. So I'm going to do my best to represent this information properly. I'm sorry if I get it wrong or if I offend anyone. This is a fabulous story, and I hope I'm as accurate as possible. Um, In 2008, at the age of 11, Zayedin took Malala to a press club. like a That's kind of like basically a press conference. Um, She spoke that day saying, how dare the Taliban take away my basic right to education? I'm not sure how much of this was like planned. I looked into it. I couldn't really figure out if like her dad was speaking at this event and she had an opportunity to speak or something like that. But I don't know. She was 11? She was 11 years old, 2008. Yeah. And in 2009... 
She actually wrote a blog for BBC Urdu under a pen name, speaking to life under Taliban rule. So the BBC Urdu was actually covering the unrest in the region and wanted to get a real-life take on day-to-day life under Taliban. So initially, they actually approached Zayadan, being a teacher. And so he, he like, ran this chain of schools, but I believe he taught and was, like, the in-house principal of another, of one specific one. That's what I gathered from it. So they asked him if any of his students would be interested, but no one was allowed due to the obvious dangers they'd be putting themselves in. So like all of their parents said, absolutely not, not a chance. Mm -hmm. So he eventually suggested his daughter, even though she was quite a bit younger than they originally wanted. They wanted like a teenager. Um, So later that year, so this is like January, this happens. So later that year, like in the summer, a journalist named Adam Ellick made a documentary about her for the New York Times. This documentary solidified her as an activist, and her name became well-known around the world. She went on to do interviews and was on TV and everything. At this point, she's 12 years old, so we don't know her. Like, I hadn't heard about her until after she was shot, Mm -hmm. but... Anyone who's kind of in that world um, knew about her, like UN and like anyone who's like, you know. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, okay. So I did watch the documentary. The documentary was called Malala Yousafzai's Story, The Pakistani Girl Shot in Taliban Attack. But it took place three years before. So I think that's a funny title. Um, <laughs> Where did you find this documentary? On YouTube. Um, okay. So they actually they actually followed her and her family like before it all happened. What this meant for SWAT is that uh, they implemented strict Muslim law, and those who defied it were publicly beaten or killed with their bodies put on display. So there were public beheadings, things like that. Um, Boys' schools were allowed to remain open while girls' schools were actually destroyed, not just closed. So they blew up more than 200 schools in the area. Malala's school was not included, although um, when all this was happening, they did lose a lot of the students, most of the students. So it was basically just very small classes. In fact, her dad was explaining that uh, one of the girls... Not Malala, but one of the girls, she was, she couldn't go to school. She wasn't allowed to go to school because it was just too dangerous. So she ended up just every day, like whenever her parents and her family wasn't paying attention, she'd sneak out of the house and go to school. So it was like, well, it was just so dangerous. They had destroyed all these schools. Like they didn't know what, what was going to happen, you know? It's so, it's such a contrast to me growing up and the opposite. Hating school. Yeah. Trying to sneak out of school. Yeah, trying to skip as much, as many classes as I could without getting noticed in a class of 10. <laughs> oh, yeah, you had a super tiny class. Yeah, so, I don't know how we got away with that. <laughs> so television, music, and girls' education were completely banned. How boring. Right? And a bunch of people left the area 
right away, pretty much, but leaving it pretty much a ghost town, and marketplaces were bare as women were not allowed to shop on their own. Um, they had to be accompanied by a male family member. Uh, businesses are were empty at the time, so as like people were just afraid to go out. So at one point, they put a date on girls' education and said, this is the official day that no more girls are allowed to go to school. So it was like they gave them a few weeks to prepare and just be like, no more school. So a bunch of families like withdrew their daughters, like I said, from the school to remain safe, but Malala kept going. I will never, ever understand that whole mentality of just not allowing I will never like why what is the point what what purpose does that serve well limiting someone's education limits their freedoms and their you know their confidence if you're if you're learning you become more confident and you become more more likely to speak up for yourself um, it's just about keeping how, control how threatened do you have to be by an entire group of people entire half of your the demographic of your population that you just completely cut them off from that like exactly like that's that's the best perspective because like um yeah like we we always think of it as like oh they're they're controlling us that's so mean that's so mean and and I've like felt uh really like I don't know, when I read these stories, I feel like, oh, that sucks, that's that's stupid. But then to actually, like, I actually thought about that today for the first time. I was like, were they scared of the female population that they had to... That's the only logical Like, that reason. doesn't make sense. And then you, actually at the time, there was a female prime minister in Pakistan, but she was actually assassinated in 2007, mm -hmm. so before all of this happened. So, I mean, maybe... They were because I know that India the poor men has would have had female to, leaders in the past. The poor men would have to like change their attitudes and their ways. Yeah. How dare they? So, I mean, that's something that her dad had dedicated his life to is women's rights um, activism. So while most families in the region gear up to leave, the Yusuf Zai family decides that they will stay and fight for freedom. So her father says, you may call me a crazy person, but when I'm asked by my friends, why are you not leaving SWAT? I usually tell them that SWAT has given me a lot. Now, when there are hard days in SWAT and SWAT is in trouble, as a good friend, I should not leave SWAT. <laughs> so that's cute. <laughs> I can't say I agree with that notion. I don't know a, what a I would region do. But, yeah. of your country, but okay. But uh, he becomes so obsessed about the restoration of SWAT. And at one point, he, but he's so used to being an activist that that's his whole approach, right? Is to fight for what he believes in. So he becomes so obsessed about the restoration of SWAT. At one point, he speaks out against the Taliban and he's declared a target that night over the radio by the Taliban. Because they controlled the radio at this point, right? So Malala's dream was to be a doctor, but her father told her, and this is in the documentary, it's really cute, the fa her father's like, no, you can't be a doctor, you need to be a politician so that you can create an environment 
that would make it easy for girls to become doctors. <laughs> so he goes like all the way to the top. Like, let's broaden our perspective here. Mm-hmm. So she does eventually change her mind from wanting to be a doctor to wanting to be a politician. <laughs> so um, after the schools close, she turns to homeschooling. And she says at the time, they cannot stop me. I will get my education if it is in home, school, or any place. She said about this time, I wasn't afraid of speaking out. I was afraid to live in this situation. So that was her entire perspective was the idea of at one point, I think it was on Oprah. She mentions I at one point, um, she says, yeah, like I, like the thought of getting married young and she's talking like 13, 14 years old and having babies and then being a grandparent and that being her entire life and the definition of her life. Mm-hmm. She's like, that scared me more than anything. Cause that would not be me. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, so that's what like motivated her to speak out. So when the Pakistani military finally decides to strike against the Taliban, um, okay, so they had battles, different battles within SWAT during these years. And so there's like the first battle of SWAT, the second battle of SWAT, and so on. Um, so the Pakistani military did kind of come in and out. It's my understanding. Um, But they finally decided to strike against the Taliban, and this changes the idyllic, gorgeous region into an all-out war zone. Millions of people flee for their own safety, including Malala's family. So her family gets separated. Mom and kids go to stay with relatives, while dad goes to a city about six hours away to get work and um, lives with several other men in the same situation and they're like sharing a bedroom and like they're all just trying to survive this war and provide for their families but Malala mom and the boys she has two younger brothers um, they keep moving from one relative to another like just kind of moving around trying to stay under you know under a roof stay under the radar Sure. Are they like a target at this point or? I don't know if they're actively a target because they're also not in the region anymore and other parts of Pakistan weren't controlled by Taliban. So I don't think they had much power there. But um, Malala, uh, oh, that's, I already said that. So um, (laughs) around this time, Malala decides that she no longer wants to be a doctor, that she is going to be a politician. In order to save her country. She's 12 at this point. (laughs) So after three months of being separated, they finally get back together and they get to go home. But before that, on their way, they make a stop in the capital. And Malala, along with her activists, with other activists and her father, meet with Richard Holbrook. He's Obama's top official in the region. And there she pleads with him to help in any way they could. I'm not sure if, America helped in any way at that point. I just kind of stopped reading about that. Um, you mean they didn't save the day? <laughs> okay. Let's not get into that. <laughs> I love America. <laughs> I love my friends and family <laughs> there. <laughs> it's a beautiful country. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so at this point, 
It is a beautiful country. And with beautiful people. It is. Just some things bug me. Anyway. (laughs) Um, Not like we're perfect or anything. God, no. Uh, At this point, though, there's a vision of peace in the region, and it all seems peaceful and calm, but the Taliban commanders are still free. So there's this one conversation happening where her father, like they're sitting in the car on the way home, haven't seen their house in three months. They don't know if it's been looted. So there's a lot of like excitement and anticipation there. And her father is like, we won. We're so excited. It's going to be peaceful now. And she's just all stoic. And she's like, I'm worried that they can just come back at any time. (laughs) Like she's like a little more realist about it. And he's a little more head in the clouds. They're really adorable, the whole family. But her and her dad are especially close the entire time. And at one point he says, like, we're like one soul living in two bodies. Because she's like, just adores her father and like looks Mm -hmm. up to him and has learned so much from him. So um, despite most homes being looted, theirs was not. However, their school run by Zayodin had the Pakistani army squatting in it for shelter. And the whole place was trashed. There was like, there were like decapitated goat heads in one spot. Ugh. Um, I'm sorry. I don't care if you're squatting somewhere. Like that's. No, but they were also, they left a, a note, like a long letter on his desk saying like that you were traitors or whatever. I don't, or oh, it's your so they fault. Did it. Like it's, it's basically blaming SWAT Valley citizens that it's your fault that these people came in. Okay. So and we're able to take over in the first place. A purposely place. targeted mess. Maybe just like disrespect in general led them to just yeah. like treat it poorly. So there was like, yeah, holes in the walls and everything. It was just trashed. So this entire documentary happens in like 2009, but it just gives you kind of a background of what her community is going through at this point. Um. So after all this, she never stops, never slows down her activism. In fact, in 2011, she was nominated for the International Children's Peace Prize. Also in 2011, she won the National... Oh, the International Children's Peace Prize. She was nominated by Desmond Tutu. Also in 2011, she won the National Youth Peace Prize in Pakistan, the Prime Minister at the time, Yusuf Raza Ghilani, directed authorities to set up an IT campus in the SWAT degree college for women at the request of Malala. So she has power. And she's like, what is this, 2011? So she's like 14. Like she's a teenager and people respect her. And she just commands. She's one of those people that like everything she says sounds so epic. She's so eloquent. And just knows how to catch your attention. Mm-hmm. So during this time, she experienced multiple death threats, both publicly in media and privately delivered to her home. <laughs> and yet her family just keeps going and keeps fighting. Apparently there was a meeting in which Taliban leaders unanimously decided that she was too big of a threat and she must die. Come to... October 9th, 2012. She's riding on a school bus surrounded by other children when two men stop the bus. Looking at her. Oh, well, you're just looking at your phone to me from my perspective. So 
know. It's just, I this just is, want to, to remind myself of what, what she looks this like. This is the climax of the story. Okay. <laughs> October 9th, 2012. She's riding on a school bus surrounded by other children when two men step the bus, step, stop the bus, sorry, I can't read, and get on. And one asks, who is Malala? She remembers nothing. He fired three bullets, one hitting her on the left side of her head as she was, like, covering her face to protect herself. Um, Two of her friends actually got shot as well, which I had no idea. They all survived. Her friends were in stable condition, and shortly after the shooting, they spoke to the media about the experience. So she was... Immediately rushed to the hospital, but it takes a couple hours before she can get rushed to a nearby military hospital by helicopter to be seen by a surgeon. So he spends five hours trying to relieve the swelling in her brain, and it just so happens that there's a doctor from England in Pakistan, a top specialist in pediatric trauma, Dr. Fiona Reynolds. Just by coincidence. Yes along with her colleague, Dr. Kiani. So she's in meetings all day about medical programs, and when she's told she needs to stop everything and help this famous young woman. I am going to cry at some point. So at this point, she's 15 years old, and she's well-known across Pakistan and her activism, and for her activism and uh, even throughout the world. So by the time Dr. Reynolds gets to her, she's septic. The tubes are causing infections. Her lungs and kidneys are failing. But Dr. Reynolds decides to take her to a high-tech hospital in Birmingham, England. And she, like, fights for that because they were saying, like, no, she's too sick to to travel, which is true. It was an eight-hour plane ride away. So this seems unlikely. But the emir of the UAE sends one of his private planes. I didn't know what an emir is, but I it's uh it's some it's some kind of like a high up royal family political kind of person. I don't know. That's no. that's the best explanation okay. you're going to get. So, this plane is a state of the art intensive care unit in itself. So what? it's already set up that way. So he sends that to Pakistan, and so she gets to go to Birmingham, England. So she's in coma for at least a week. I believe it was eight days. When I vaguely remember this. Yeah. I didn't know who she was before this happened. Yeah. I, I had no idea. So when she did wake up, she couldn't speak because there was a tube in her neck. Um, so she would write messages down to communicate, She doesn't remember the shooting at all. This was in the middle of exam time, and she was feeling really good about the exam she had just written that day, and she was excited and looking forward to the exam she had to write the next day. (laughs) Because that's her. She loves education. So, um, Who looks forward to exams? Oh, my goodness. (laughs) She's just thinking about studying and just keep it... The sarcasm podcast, just like, (laughs) stupid. (laughs) Um, She's just thinking about studying, and then she she wakes up a week later in a different country. So she's just literally like one experience to the next. Like, I never thought about, like, what happens if you're in a coma. You just, like, 
randomly wake up in a hospital bed? Like, what the fuck? Shock. Yeah. So here's what happened. The bullet going at a thousand feet per second goes in right above her eye and slips under the skin. And as it hits her sphenoid bone, it ricochets and bursts through her eardrum, damaging her ear and facial nerves, and it hits her shoulder. So she, you know what we've, um, like, we've heard a lot of stories about, like, people, like, um, I've heard a lot of stories where, like, people get shot in the head and it just doesn't, it just ricochets or it just doesn't even penetrate the skull. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, anyway, sorry, I was just, there was a fly around my head. Um, so, yeah, it's really fascinating to me whenever that happens. You got like, I think it has to hit probably at just the right angle. angle. Like, what is her skull made out of? Anyway, <laughs> um, she does months of therapy to regain movement and physio to regain use of her face, but she suffered no long-term damage. So before this point, through all these brutal things that they did, the Taliban had never killed a child. I told you that already. Um, they thought themselves to be the moral high ground, right? But, um, yeah, she broke that record. Hmm. So after the shooting, governments worldwide condemned the Taliban. Um, mainstream Islam and respected leaders of Islam condemned them, and they responded by basically implying that she was still on the list. Um, Hmm. so whether there's still a target on her back, I don't know, but she has moved forward in her life. Her family remained in Birmingham where she finished her secondary education. And in 2014, she won the Nobel Peace Prize. She found out that she won the Nobel Peace Prize while in chemistry class. And her teacher came in and told her, and I guess there were... There were, like, news cameras or something outside or whatever. And she decided to stay in school and finish her school day because she's like, that's what I'm fighting for. That's what I'm getting this prize for. Mm-hmm. I should probably just, like, live that out. <laughs> like, you know. I would have been like, day off. <laughs> Which is exactly why you did not get mm-hmm. your Nobel Peace Prize, okay? Um, so... Then, like, afterwards, of course, she celebrated. But in 2015, on her 18th birthday, she doesn't go out drinking at the bar. She opens a school in Lebanon near the Syrian border for Syrian refugee girls. And in 2017, she started university at Lady Margaret Hall. Lady Margaret Hall. Sorry, it had to be said that way. (laughs) (laughs) There's no other way to say it. At Oxford University. Lady Margaret. I regretted it immediately. <laughs> anyway, in uh, June, June 18th, 2020, she posted on Instagram, hard to express my joy and gratitude right now as I completed my philosophy, politics, and economics degree at Oxford. I don't know what's ahead. For now, it will be Netflix reading and sleep. So she was on Ellen at one point, and Ellen asked her, Okay, that was a burp. <laughs> um, Ellen asked her how she has no anger towards the man who shot her. She says prior to that, she always kind of worried about getting attacked. But she said, my weakness, my fear, and my hopelessness died that day. 
and I became stronger than before. She credits her parents because they never stopped her. Even in the face of danger, they always let her fly. She's so direct and doesn't shy away from confrontation. And she's so great with like speaking to world leaders because the the worst has already happened, right? Like there's nothing. Yeah. What could be worse yeah. than getting shot in the head? Exactly. Getting shot in the head and then dying. But uh, yeah, but then you're not there to worry about it. So yeah. Um, okay. So, um, there were so many awards and honors that I didn't write any of them down. I'm just going to like, like, I'm just going to ramble them off from Wikipedia. (laughs) (laughs) The great Wikipedia. So I'm just going to mention, I'm only going to mention the ones from that I'm familiar with or that are easy to pronounce or et cetera, et cetera. Because there's a lot of global things like all over the world. Anyway, so I mentioned the 2011 ones, the International Children's Peace Prize, the national, where she was just not nominated. She didn't win that one. Oh, whatever. <laughs> just kidding. Um, <laughs> national Youth Peace Prize as well. So 2012, she won the Anne Frank Award for Moral Courage, the Sitara E. Shujat, Pakistan's second highest civilian bravery award. Foreign Policy Magazine's Top 100 Global Thinkers, um, Time Magazine's Person of the Year shortlist for 2012, Mother Teresa Awards for Social Justice, a couple others, 2013 Vital Voices Global Leadership Award, um, one of Time's 100 Most Influential People in the World, uh, yeah, um, I'm going to keep going. International Children's Peace Prize in 2013. 2013 has like, I don't know, like 20 different awards and honors and things. Oh, wait, she got shot in 2012? Yes. Okay. Uh, Glamour Magazine's Woman of the Year in 2013. She's 16. Uh, International Prize for Equality and Non-Discrimination. In 2014, nominated for World's, World Children's Prize, also known as Children's Nobel Prize. Um, she was... Oh, do, 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 do. Okay, so Honorary Doctor of Civil Law, University of King's College, Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada. Uh, the Nobel Peace Prize, of course. The Philadelphia Liberty Medal. Asia Game Changer Award, one of Time Magazine's the most 25 influential, 25 most influential teens of 2014, honorary Canadian citizenship. Um, youngest ever United Nations Messenger of Peace. She received an honorary doctorate from the University of Ottawa. Canada loves her. <laughs> honorary doctorate. She's pro- she's, she's got a couple of those to have at that point. Like actually, oh, that was twenty seventeen, and and gotten a doctor. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Ellis Island International Medal of Honor. Um, Harper's Bazaar inducted her into the list of one hundred and fifty of the most influential female leaders, um, and a few others. Like so many. 
Crazy. So she's basically done now. She doesn't need to do, like, how do, uh, how do you top that as an adult? So she has written a few books. Uh, so is her father. And just, yeah. Oh, her dad said something about activism that I thought was cool. He said, a mother won't give milk to a child unless it cries. So if you don't cry, you won't have anything. You have to scream for everything. Just so true. Like, I don't know about you, but like, I always found that growing up when, whenever you think about activists, it was always like, oh, they're weird. They're too loud. They're, you know, just like, just be cool. Like, you know, but nothing changes if you don't get loud. Nothing changes if you don't get loud. Exactly. So like, that's my word of wisdom for the day. Yeah. Which is just a paraphrase of what Malala's father said. (laughs) Oh, thanks for cutting me down like that. (laughs) Breaking your heart. Um, she's, oh, the former prime minister Shahid of uh, Pakistan, Shahid um, Abbasi. I, sorry. Um, I wasn't going to try. I wasn't even going to attempt the middle name. Um, Shahid Abbasi. She's the most prominent citizen of the country. <laughs> hmm. And that was when she was like 15, I think. Or 14, No maybe. pressure, girl. <laughs> yeah, right? Oh, my goodness. She was on um, Oprah, like, Soul, whatever her show is. Uh, I don't know. Soul Sundays? I don't know. Oh, God. I don't know now her I'm forgetting new stuff. I know, I know her. I've seen so many of them, but I forget. Um, anyway, it was really sweet. And then her dad came on, too, to talk. And it was really cool. Anyway, that is Malala Yousafzai. Cool. She's, and she's, she did say, like, this is only the beginning. Like, I was just going to say, she's just getting started. Yeah, she did say, like, she had referenced, like, sometimes we, we think about these amazing people throughout history, like MLK and, like, whoever who have, like, fought for rights. And we think of them as this higher being, like, this person who's, like, so great and amazing and I could never be on that level. But she's like, you have to start somewhere, and you start small, and then you keep growing. And Oprah was like, you are on that level. Like, what are you talking about? And she's like, oh, no, no. I've only just started. Like, I haven't done half as much as they've done. And I'm like, well, that's debatable. But, yeah, like, she's clearly, like, keeps going. But she's, like, never stopped either, like, the entire time. Um, Yeah, she... She, oh yeah, one thing she said about her mom, like that whole family is just a big ball of like love and forgiveness. It's wild to me. Like her dad or both her parents were like, oh no, like I'm not mad at the person who shot her. Like her mom, apparently like the first thing that she was concerned about, I mean, after she found out that her daughter was fine, was like, she was like, what about the mothers of the shooters? Like, that's where her heart goes. Like, I have to forgive them because, like, my heart goes out to their mothers. My heart goes out to, like, you know, they're so lost. And even Malala was like, I I would fight for your children to get an education. Like, just saying that to the, the person who shot her, saying, like, I want you to know that. And she said at one point, I think it was on, um, Dave Letterman or, like, John Stewart or something like that, where she was saying, um, 
at first I always thought like, what would I do if I was attacked? What would I do? And I thought, oh, I just take my shoe off and like hit him with it. If he tries to hurt me, if it, cause at that point she knew that Taliban was after her and she's like, but then I thought, no, I can't do that. Cause then I'm no different than the Taliban. And so she's like, I would try to use my words and explain to them what I'm doing and that I would fight for their children and I would want nothing more than like for them to be in a, in a good, safe, educated country like the way she saw Pakistan to be. And so she, she was like, and then they can do whatever they want to me. But like that's how she would prefer to handle the situation. So just wild like i like wisdom beyond her years i don't know like well and if you think about it the person who shot her people i don't know how many were there two um shooting victims no shooters Sh- two but only one shot right but if you think about it those people who were on that mission to attack her that day um they themselves have been like like we were talking about cults before yeah they've been under that Fully indoctrinated. um, Indoctrinated, brainwashed, whatever you want to call it, into that kind of mentality. And it kind of, it reminds me of like the um, uh, SS officers in Nazi Germany or, you know, anyone who had joined like, you know, the Hitler youth or whatever. Like, it's, it's the same, it's the same story as like being stuck in a cult that, you know, becomes like a violent cult. Yeah. It's the same thing, and there's an ele- there's a, there is an element of not being under your own control anymore. I mean, ultimately, yes, you you are responsible for your own actions, but there is an element of it, their thoughts and their actions are being controlled by another person, or have, they've been so heavily yeah. influenced that they don't have control over that anymore. So, in a sense, yeah, exactly, it wasn't in, it wasn't fully that person yeah no shooting her and that's like their perspective but it would be so hard in the moment to be like like just calm about it and mm-hmm. just be like oh you know like i i love you no matter what like even if you're hurting me like yeah. you you know and i don't know like we all think that we'd be like really great in situations like that but then the reality is uh probably not like probably be pretty no. fucking human and like you know, I mean, I get angry and of course there's nothing wrong with being angry, but, um, her anger is so well directed and so well, you know, controlled and whatever, but yeah. she's very angry, I'm sure, but not at any individual person. Like she sees like kind of where you're coming well, from. Yeah. I mean, you, you kind of have, there has to be an element of anger to be able to keep fighting. Yeah. But just to... But to realize, to recognize where you need to point that and how to channel it properly. Yeah. 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 That's the wisdom. Yeah. And at such a young age, eh? Hey? Mm-hmm. All right. That is there. more. Badass broad. Yeah. And still going. Yeah. Cool. All right. So, <laughs> stamp. Okay, you just really banged. Need, and I'm like... No one's going to understand what you're doing, but yeah, we're giving her the stamp. I really need a stamp. Yeah, geez. Um, So if you like that episode, please leave a five-star review and tell us what you think on Instagram at the Badass Broadcast. Uh, 
Yeah, and and check out Instagram for our and, weekly images of each episode. And any any reviews less than five stars will be <laughs> will be dealt with. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Only five star reviews accepted. <laughs> Just kidding. We love you all. <laughs> and as always, of course, see you next Thursday. See you next Thursday.